Amen. God is good. I didn't mention it in the announcement last week to keep the announcement brief, brief, but last weekend was actually Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Most of you probably didn't even know it. Pentecost is a huge thing and in the kingdom of God. It's very important. Pentecost is the 50th day after uh, Good Friday, after the, after the crucifixion, or after Easter, I mean to say. 50 days after Easter is what I mean to say. And the word Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50. And so 50 in the Bible is the number of the restoration. Somebody sent me an email this week. And they asked, do we think that it was coincidental that on Pentecost weekend that we closed on our building? I said, nope, God doesn't know anything about coincidences. There are no coincidences with God. There are only divine appointments. Amen. And this was God's way uh, in ancient Israel in the 50th year of allowing Israel to prosper. What would happen is, is that Israel numbered their years together in numbers of seven years each. So instead of having a decade, they would have a seven. Instead of 10 years, they would, there would be seven. Well, after seven sevens, which is 49, the 50th year was the year of Jubilee, all debts were canceled, all properties that had to be uh, sold to be able to help people survive, all of those returned back to the original owner. And that's what the 50, the number 50 in scripture literally represents. Now, how would you like it if Congress passed a law that every 50th year, all debts were canceled, all property had to be restored? I see you like that. Amen. 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 That was God's way of ensuring the prosperity of the whole nation. Last Sunday signaled a significant major shift. It was not by coincidence that it occurred Pentecost weekend. There's something that's changed for us. The word of the Lord that has been spoken to me, and I'm going to declare this in the apostolic role that I have as a spiritual leader in the kingdom of God, and I'm not calling attention to me, but I want to just simply tell you what God is speaking to me, is that what used to be our ceiling that we tried so hard to reach has now become the floor beneath which we will never sink any lower than that again. What you used to set as your ceiling, your goal, where you felt like you couldn't get to, you just stretched to try to reach it financially and for your family and for this church. You just sailed right back past that. That is now the floor beneath which you can't sink any lower than that level ever again. That's the word of the Lord that I feel in my spirit. And I am talking about ministry coverings here. And we're, we're closing this series next weekend is, I think, Father's Day. Is that right? And um, I'm not going to read the verses from the book of Numbers, but I would like to go to what I have declared to be the most hated verses in the Bible. Hated because we have seen these verses abused so many times. And we have seen them abused. We all have. Hebrews 13, 15 through 18, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And now this verse that is so despised because there have been so many incorrect models for this that we have witnessed 
the examples of. Obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them so do or do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And then Paul, or, the, or Apollos, or Timothy, it was, I believe one of those three wrote this book. Then he concludes by saying, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience. In other words, I've got to give an account for everything the writer is saying that I have taught you. My leadership is going to be examined in a much higher court than exists in this present world. And someday I'm going to stand before God and he's going to ask me to give an account of my leadership. And the writer here says, pray for me. For we are confident that we have a good conscience. So far as I know, I've never violated my conscience. I have not commercialized the anointing. I have not led people from selfish perspectives and motivations. I've not abused or wounded people. And he said, I, at this point, am confident that my conscience is clear, but pray for me. In all things, I desire to live honorably. I wish that every minister would pray that prayer. I wish that every pastor would pray that prayer. I have often said that people who are wounded and who get in ministry because they are wounded and they need the ego recognition and gratification of being perceived to be somebody in the kingdom, they need that and that's why they're ministering are actually very dangerous people. They will either hurt you intentionally to come out looking good or they'll hurt you unintentionally because they are seeing their need rather than the needs of people. This is why God requires wholeness, healing to occur before you can become elevated in ministry. Regarding elevation, we're looking at a couple of different names. We thank you for all of the different names that have been volunteered. But elevation is a big part of this church, and we're looking at either elevate life or transforming life as possibly the names that we might use. Elevation does play a major part in this, this ministry, and every minister should be desiring to elevate people, not to be elevated himself. A true spiritual father doesn't rejoice because of what he's accomplished. He rejoices more in the achievements of his sons and daughters. Any soccer match on any school field, Watch it, whether it's played on a Friday afternoon or a Saturday or whenever. The guy going crazy when some teenager hits that, that ball with a bicycle kick and it goes right past that goalie into the net. You know who that guy is going crazy on the sidelines? That's daddy. Because he rejoices more in the accomplishments of his children than he does in his own. It is sad that in the kingdom of God there have been examples set by leaders that do not model this kind of purity of desire for the elevation of their, those that they are responsible for. Someday they will give account. And yes, there have been people that have been wounded. This is why I'm closing this series on spiritual coverings by talking about ministry coverings. What do they mean to us? What are your obligations to them? We've talked about seven types of spiritual coverings, blood coverings, prayer coverings, worship coverings, grace coverings, Love coverings, coverings of the anointing, and coverings of glory. And today I want to talk about ministry coverings, part two. Father, I do pray today 
that because someday I will stand before you, the mighty God of heaven and earth, and give an account for the leadership that you have called me to provide for this aspect of your kingdom, I pray that I will be able to do that with a clear conscience and know that I did my best for you and your people. I pray that you would open the hearts of all of our people, our staff, the members of this church, every person that works in a Sunday school room, every youth leader, every single aspect of leadership, whether it's in ushering, whether it's in communion ministry, greeting, whatever it is. Let our our motives always be pure. Help us to understand what ministry coverings are all about, that we might be able to receive both the benefit of that and be able to see these things fulfilled in terms of what they represent. In Jesus' name I ask, and everybody said amen. Okay, so I've told you that abuses are not what ministry coverings are about. And um, ego problems that some people have seeking to control others. That's not a ministry covering. Neither is a ministry covering when you are made to leave your brain at the door and blindly comply with every crazy thing that some warped individual demands that you do. There's a lot of manipulation that exists in the kingdom of God. There are wounded people that will give you a prophetic word because they want to be significant in your eyes. Their motive is not always pure. That borders and gets into the realm of witchcraft. That's control. Amen. You were never meant to be a doormat. You're meant to bring your brain to church with you. Hello, somebody. Ministry coverings, however, do provide, in spite of the abuses that we have seen, a vital function to the body of Christ in that they extend your reach and anointing in the kingdom of God beyond where you could reach yourself. Because you have a ministry covering that is made up of the seven types of spiritual coverings that I just mentioned a while ago, the blood coverings, prayer, worship, love, etc., grace coverings on, on, you can now, because you're under a ministry covering, which is a composite of those seven that I've mentioned, You can now experience the power of God at work in your life in a way that is far beyond the level of your personal revelation, your personal experience, or your personal ability. I'll give you an example of that. When I came here, I started having automobile accidents. I was rear-ended a number of times. This is my personal experience. Most of you know this. Severe accidents. First one was right out here turning into this driveway. And I was, that's why there's a turning lane there now, in fact. I was hit by someone doing 55 miles an hour while I was sitting still. She had been over to pick up the gift. It was on Father's Day. She was bringing her father a gift and hit me full speed out. Three years to the day, I was struck right there again. This time by a woman doing 75 miles an hour who was looking over her shoulder. I was again sitting still. And she was looking in a rear view mirror, if I remember the story correctly. And what we heard was true. She was high on drugs and thought somebody was chasing her. 75 miles an hour. There wasn't much left of that car or me either. And that began a series of accidents, and almost every year I was having one until the prayer ministry of this church, Bob Jones and the others in this church got together, Rita uh, and uh, uh, Cheryl and some of the others that were personal members of my prayer team, and they got together, took some stakes, and wrote on them scriptures such as, no weapon formed against you can prosper. 
Amen. Such as Psalms 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm mentioning this to you because in spite of my own prayer life, and I am a man of prayer, I want you to, and you've never heard me say that, you don't know how much time I spend with God. That's valuable to me. That's one reason that I enjoy traveling, quite frankly, because if I was here, I'd be at the tyranny of every phone call. But I have the opportunity to be alone with God for hours. And quite frankly, I can't lead you if I can't be Moses and go to the top of the mountain. It doesn't mean I will ever neglect you. We have a wonderful staff and I do the best I can. But I've got to lead the people of God with what I find in relating to God. So I have a prayer life. I had a prayer life. But when they came to my house and took a sledgehammer and drove those stakes all over around my house, do you know that the accident stopped right there and not another one happened for years and years? And there have been a couple of small ones in more recent years. Maybe you need to pray a little harder. (laughs) Amen. But the truth of the matter, it was just little minor bumps, and it was like the devil was Mike Tyson, and I was Evander Holyfield. He's just trying to chew on my ear a little bit, but I wasn't doing him any good. And I am doing wonderful since that service where Lloyd was with us. It's amazing how well I feel. But my point is this, that my personal prayer life would, was not able to help me break through into that realm. The combined prayers of this church did. And so a ministry covering extends your reach spiritually and therefore provide a powerful uh, function in the body of Christ. To demonstrate what what ministry coverings are about, last Sunday, or Sunday before last, I preached on the talit, and I brought this to the platform with me. The talit provides a powerful visual, it's a prayer shawl, that uh, reminds us of what ministry coverings look like. And there's a certain way that this thing is actually supposed to be placed on your body. And I don't, um, I, I'm not doing that. There's a certain prayer you pray and you throw it over and over each shoulder and all of that. And I, I'm not doing that simply because I, I don't want you to think that we're going backward. I don't want you to believe that God doesn't hear your prayer unless you are wearing one of these things. Amen. If it helps you in your personal devotions, fine. But what it provides for me is a visual of what ministry coverings actually do in the kingdom of God. Quite a few people have asked me to explain in greater detail what I was talking about a couple of Sundays ago. There is a a, a rapt fascination on the part of most believers with the, the Hebrew origins of our faith. I happen to be one of those that are fascinated by this subject and love studying it, but I'm not asking you to go buy one, nor am I going to tell you like some television preachers do, that if you do get one, God's going to hear your prayer more than he does right now. That does not what's going to happen. This is a visual. So we read in Numbers 15, 37 through 41, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak. Here is where God instructs Moses to have the children of Israel wear this thing that is called a talit or a talis or a prayer shawl. Talis or talit, depending upon whether you're Ashkenazi or Sephardic Jew. That's another subject. I won't get into that. Some of them went to Europe, some went to Africa, and that's the difference in the two. Speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, that these things right here. 
and you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry, watch this now, to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. Did you see that? Your own heart and your own eyes are inclined to do wrong. I'm going to tell you that just like Paul said, there is no good thing that dwells in this flesh. Your flesh will get you in trouble if it is not covered. Amen. The enemy will work through your flesh. You need to cover yourself up. That's what ministry coverings do. That you may remember and do my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. God had a reason for instructing Israel, the men of Israel, to pray with a talit. And as I mentioned, while I don't believe you're required to wear one, I do believe they serve an important role in providing a visual to help us understand the truth of a ministry covering and what it represents. A number of verses in the New Testament tell us that it really is important that we as modern Christians and believers understand the Jewish foundations of our faith. It helps strengthen our faith. All kind of people in the church today say, well, that's the Old Testament. That's not important. I beg to differ with you. That's just flat out wrong. Wrong. You can't divorce the modern Christian church from its Jewish roots. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, Paul says, all those things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. The Amplified Bible said they were written to admonish and fit us for right action and good instruction. Did you see that? To fit us, modern believers who were not even alive during the wilderness experience or throughout those centuries prior to the coming of Christ. Modern believers, Gentile believers who are Christians, benefit from understanding the foundations of their faith. This, these days, there are a lot of people that, that want to divorce that part of the Christian experience from their experience with God. Did you hear about the Jewish guy who went to church? Their, their sense of humor is different from ours, by the way. I don't know how many Jewish people you've ever interacted with, but the old joke is, um, you know, how many uh, men does it take to change, uh, uh, how many sons does it take to change a Jewish mother's light bulb when it goes out? The answer is none. I'll just sit here in the dark and feel sorry for herself. See, you don't even laugh, but they laugh. <laughs> it's uproariously funny. So I'm going to tell you a joke they tell about Christians not recognizing their association. A Jewish guy went to a church to pray, took out his talit and his yarmulke, that's the little skull cap, and proceeded to pray. And the clergyman entered to start the service, and he said, well, all the non-Christians, please be seated or leave, and uh, that our service can start. And the Jewish man kept on praying. And the clergyman said, I've asked, would you please be seated or leave? And the Jewish man kept on praying. And finally, the distraught clergyman said to the Jewish man, will all the Jews please leave so we can begin our Christian service? And at this, the Jewish man removed his yarmulke, took off his talit, packed it up, went over to the altar, picked up a little statue of Jesus and said, come on, Jew boy, we're not welcome here anymore. <laughs> you can't divorce Christianity from its Jewish roots. 
the, both Paul and the writer of the book of Hebrews were masters at taking Old Testament Testament symbolism and helping Christians understand how these types and shadows had actually been fulfilled in Christ. There are modern congregations that want their whole service to be Jewish. That to me is going backward. That's why I don't say this is required. Those are symbols. I would rather have the real thing. Amen. And what is important, though, is that you understand that our faith is strengthened when we understand that God's redemptive purposes, as we look at these symbols, we realize that beginning from the book of Genesis and throughout the ages, God's plan has been marching resolutely toward a stable in Bethlehem and from there to a hill called Golgotha and from there to an empty tomb. God's plan has moved steadily forward. Each of the 613 Hebrew laws and ordinances, rituals, sacrifices, festivals, and observances all meant something to ancient Israel, but they only saw the shadow. I'll give you an example. Jesus is the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, they're offering sacrifices of the lambs. He, he is casting the shadow over the Old Testament. They're seeing the lamb sacrifice, but it's not till the real lamb comes that you see with clarity. It's Balaam on the top of the mountain looking at Israel, who were specifically told by God to, uh, to count with three of their tribes in this direction, three in this one, and three in this one, and then three in this one with the largest tribes out here. When you look at it, from the top of the mountain, you realize that what Balaam was seeing was actually a camp in the construction or form of a cross. That's the shadow Calvary cast over the Old Testament. Again, Moses kills the Passover lamb and tells the Jewish people, put it over the threshold on the door, on each side of the doorpost. And so you got the, the blood, rather, you got to sprinkle it over the threshold on each side of the, of the door on the doorpost. And so you got blood here and here and here, and the blood from here because of gravity falls to here. So what do you have? You've got a cross. All throughout the Old Testament, the laws and rituals were foreshadowing what was to come. Amen. In spite of all of these road signs along the way, and let me build my case, the Jewish people... Uh, failed to recognize Christ when he came and know who he was. Paul tells us there was a reason for that. He says in Romans that it was because of spiritual blindness that they didn't recognize Jesus. Even with all these road signs they had that should have made them very much aware of who Christ was. And he says that the reason they rejected Christ was that you and I, this is the good news, as Gentiles could be grafted into the family of God in their place. But he says that when Christ returns a second time, that the Jewish people are going to receive him as their savior. The writer of Hebrews, especially in chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, also points to the experiences of Israel, Jewish law, and their worship rituals, as I've pointed pointed out already as vivid portrayals that provide compelling evidence of God's plan for mankind, but which also stand as proof of the validity of the gospel message. Both the writer 
Paul and the writer of Hebrews, if they felt that there was substance to be found in understanding the Jewish foundations of the Christian faith, it is perfectly all right for you and I as modern believers to seek to understand what they were talking about. Amen. And this is why most Christians are fascinated by understanding what these things mean. If you love the Word of God, you want to know more about how that Word of God came into being. And you want to know what it means to you today. Amen. Now that doesn't mean, I want to say again, that you got to go buy one of these. Neither do you have to start worshiping on a Saturday. If that's what you want to do, go ahead. But pr frankly, if you've got God inside, every day is the Lord's day. Amen. Every day is holy to the Lord. Now, Talit's prayer shawls have actually become very prominent in the news in just the last number of months. I don't know if you're aware of it or not. While the last presidential campaigns were still going on, Bishop Wayne Jackson of Great Faith Ministries in Detroit actually gave candidate Donald Trump a prayer shawl or a Talit and wrapped it around Donald Trump and prayed for him when he visited that church as a candidate. And Bishop Jackson also participated in the inauguration ceremony and prayed for President Trump the day he was officially sworn in. Bishop Jackson may or may not have realized what he was doing, but he was actually of the three primary candidates that were campaigning for the presidency. Two of them had rejected the word of God and its teachings openly. For example, one of them just this week, Mr. Bernie Sanders, I'm not preaching politics, so don't think I am. Did you see where he was interviewing in the Senate, the, uh, the person that has been nominated to be the deputy director of the budget of the White House? And he found out he was a Christian, and he said, do you believe the only people going to heaven are those that are Christians? And he said, sir, I'm a Christian. That is what I believe. And he began to scream at him and said, this is not America. And if that's what you believe, you have no right. You're not fit to hold public office. Sorry, I didn't know that being a Christian now disqualified you from running for an office in this nation or being appointed to one. The last time I read the Constitution, they were not supposed to make laws prohibiting these kind of things. Oh, somebody needs to say a better amen. And if you voted for Hillary, what I, the problem I had with her was that she was for legalized abortion right up to the last days of the pregnancy. Amen. And openly espousing lifestyles that the Bible stands against. Now, we're for loving everybody. And you will never hear me condemn anybody that's had to walk through the trauma of some of the things I've just mentioned. But here, watch this. I want to show you what took place, and I'll explain something now. to you. Preacher. <laughs> um, honey, would you come a moment? Um, my wife and I um, want to give you something that's, that's going to be a blessing to you. Thank you. This, this is a, a pressure straight from Israel. Great. And... With this press, y'all, whenever you're, hold this for me, please. Whenever you're flying from coast to coast, I know you just came back from Mexico, and, and you'll be flying from city to city. There is, a, there is an anointing. The anointing is the power of God. 
I, 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 when the woman who had the issue of blood said that I can only touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I was made whole. Nothing else could help her but the power of God. It's going to be some times in your life that you're going to feel forsaken. You're going to feel down. But the anointing is going to lift you up. I'm, I'm going to, I prayed over this personally. And I fasted over it. And I want to just put this on you. And... That's, that's good enough right there. My time is going. You may not realize it, but at that very moment, this entire election shifted. At that point, there was no hope that that man could possibly win the election. But here's what happened. Somebody covered him with a tallit. You may not like it. <laughs> and if you voted for somebody else, maybe you should have gone and got one of these things and given it to them. But you know what? They put themselves under this prayer shawl. And in this prayer shawl are eight, eight threads. They're tied into 613 knots. Uh, rather, uh, rather, the threads equal uh, with the knots, uh, number 613, let me say it correctly. And that is exactly how many laws there are in the Bible that God gave. And so they literally covered him with the commandments of God. Not only that, the spaces between these are wrapped with a certain number of threads and windings that spell the unutterable holy name of God. So what they did is they covered him with the word of God and the holy name of God. I'm not even putting this thing on right. There's a certain way you got to do it and all of that. But here is my point. My point is, is that I want you to understand that when you get under a prayer covering or a ministry covering, it extends your reach beyond where you would be able to go by yourself. There was no way that man should have won the election, but he did. While the others were busy distancing themselves from faith in the kingdom of God, there's somebody that let himself get covered. When you get covered by God, he will make things happen for you. And open doors for you that no man can shut. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. Amen. We are in trouble in this nation. They've taken the Bible out of schools. They don't want us to pray. The latest thing I heard this week is that atheist organizations are now suing to have the signs churches put up outside the city limits. Welcome to Houston. Cities of the churches of Houston welcome you to Houston. They're suing to have those signs removed. They're doing their best to get God out of our society and culture. And the result is our world is in trouble. The talit is referred to in many places. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Most of us, because we don't understand the Jewish origins of our faith, Jesus was a Jew. He wore one of these things. So were the apostles. 
we don't even realize this is talking about a prayer shawl. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know what rabbis call this thing right here? They call this the yoke. So Jesus was saying, get rid of the yoke you're carrying right now and let me put my yoke on you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah, somebody. He was saying, come get under my covering because if you're covered by the enemy, you're going to have a hard way in life and times are going to be tough for you. Somebody in the building say amen. Again, Isaiah 10, 27, it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that his burden will be taken from your shoulder. Burden from the shoulder? It's when you're covered by the enemy and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. It's talking about the enemy's covering being broken. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, enter your prayer closet, shut the, t- the door. This talit is what every one of them understood to be the closet of prayer. Study the architecture of homes at that time. They didn't even have closets in them. The tabernacle in the wilderness was approximately 18 feet by 45 feet. Israel numbered three and a half million people in the wilderness. You couldn't get all of the men into a little tabernacle. So what God did was give them a way where a man could enter his own portion of the tabernacle. This is also called the little tent. The Hebrew word talit is a compound word of two words. Tal, T-A-L. And that means tent and lit, L-I-T, which means little or together, little tent. And so what you have is a situation where you can come into the very presence of God that the high priest was coming into once a year when he would go into the most holy place. God said, I want everybody to be able to come to me, not just one man. I don't want some big Pumbaa. I want to be able to be approached by the people that I love. I want Joe and Sally. I want John and Susan. Hello, somebody. I want Shamika. I want Tyrone. I want everybody to be able to make their way to me because come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I'll give you something that's light. Hallelujah. That word closet in the Greek actually means secret place. And it also means storehouse. So when a man functioning as a priest to his family covers his family and is under a covering, You know what you're doing? You're opening up the storehouse of heaven. This is the secret place of God spoken of by the Bible. Now you say, do I got to have one of those? No, like I said, it symbolizes what I'm talking about. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. This also, because it was over the shoulders, symbolized the government of God. Jesus wore one of these over his shoulders. When the lady with the issue of blood saw him, she said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, that's this right here, I shall be made whole. The reason is he's got government that the enemy doesn't have. The enemy's government is failing. I need to get in touch with somebody who's got a government greater than that of the enemy. Oh, somebody in the building say hallelujah. Let me move on. 
Psalms 133, 1 and 2, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the beard that ran down the beard, the beard of Aaron, even to the edge of his garments. What does that mean? Did you ever ask yourself the question? In the book of Exodus chapter 30, it said, The anointing oil was forbidden to touch human flesh. How can you pour oil on a man and it run down and not touch his flesh? It's very simple. It's because he was underneath this prayer covering. And so when they poured the oil over him, it ran down from here into his beard, soaked into the skirts of his garment. And God said, that is what brings unity. Because you got people out there that are not under a covering, pursuing their own ideas and agenda. And when you get under a covering, this is what you can do. You can close the door to all of those things that are trying to get into your family. Daddy, close the door to some of those influences. Mama, close the door to some of those things that are trying to creep into the lives of your children. This was what Elijah had when he wrapped it around his face in the cave and went into the presence of God. This was what, when he came to the river of Jordan, he folded it up and smote the water and the river parted. This was what fell back from heaven as Elijah was carried away in a chariot of fire that Elisha caught, walked up to the waters of Jordan and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And smote the waters with Elijah's talit and the waters parted and he walked through dry shod. There are a number of places in the Bible that refer to the Talit, but we have never understood that's what it was referring to. Now, with our nation in the mess that it's in, you say, how can we get our nation back? Everyone acknowledges there's a problem. 60 million abortions have been committed in this country. Chaos rules the day. Division among ethnicities. It's a mess. Psalms 9 and 17 said, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Why did God say that you have this? So you will remember the Lord your God. Every time you touch this, you're touching the ineffable name. The inestimable name, the holy name, the unspeakable name. How do we nowadays get our nation back? Because here's the problem. The church has been asleep. I don't mean to accuse anybody. The church has been asleep. As a result, our nation has chaos. It is literally being turned into hell. How do we get it back? In Numbers chapter 16, Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron. He said, you take too much upon yourself. He broke the divine unity. He had his covering and he gathered his family and friends around them. And they became pitted against the covering of the house of God that the Talit was supposed to represent. In other words, he got out of apostolic alignment with God's agenda and God's plan. And this is what the scripture says. Moses took Aaron's rod and the walking staff and those of those men that followed Korah, brought him into the house of God, set them in the presence of the Lord behind the veil, and the next day went into the house of God. And the scripture said all of Israel, all the men stood in the door of their tent and watched him enter. How can with three and a half million Jews, all of the men stand and watch him enter? You know what they did? This was the door of their tent. They all got in their little tent 
while Moses, oh, I'm preaching right now, went into the big tent so they could see what God was about to do. When you are covered, you see things you can't see by yourself. You see into the spirit realm. You visit dimensions you will not be able to get to alone. Hallelujah. And the ground literally opened up and swallowed Korah. This is a picture of what fathers do whenever they cover their families. You see these Jewish men, it's, it's a custom and a practice that they gather their children around them when they pray. Cover them with their prayer shawl. Enemy can't touch him. Did you know that in Jewish weddings, they still do this same thing? When a man marries a bride, he takes his talit and wraps it around her and him. Wrapping my family within, in, the, in the shelter of the prayer shawl. The enemy can't get to us. Amen. Covered. That's what we are. We're covered. The problem in the church today is that you have too many people that are not covered. They're not committed to a local place of covering. Hello, somebody. And you need to be covered because that enables you to provide covering for those that you are responsible for. In the book of Ruth, we find where this very thing happened. Boaz is laying asleep on the threshing floor and he's covered himself with his, his cloth, his talit. And he feels something at his feet. Ruth has come during the night and uncovered his feet. The symbolism is rich. And he's afraid because he senses somebody at his feet and his feet are uncovered. And he had wrapped himself with this. And, and he says, who's there? And she says, it's Ruth. I've uncovered your feet because that symbolizes who I am. I'm the lowest part of this family of which you are to provide covering for. Ladies, I've got some good news in that one message. Long before women's lib and Gloria Steinem, you found the man you needed, you could propose if you wanted to. Amen. You could tell him, I need your covering. Get me covered here. Amen. So this is long. Hello. I knew some of you ladies would like that. Amen. Hallelujah. He won't ask you, ask him. Amen. And she became, the, she became the, the wife of Boaz and became the great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. Now, as I close, Jesus, back to the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood, Jesus has already passed her by. She has been 12 years in that condition. 12 is the number of divine government. She's not been under the government of God. She's been under the government of the wicked one. She has had an issue with blood for 12 years. Jesus walks by. It's after she, he has walked by that she says, if I can touch the fringe of his garment, the, t the, 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 the seat seat, that's that these threads right here. If I can touch the ineffable name, if I can touch the 613 laws of God, the enemy is going to be brought into compliance. That was actually representative of Israel. Israel was the lady with an issue of blood. Israel has had an issue of blood for decades and centuries and millennials. They have been killed right and left. Six million of them died in the, the, the concentration camps in, in World War II, an issue of blood. And here's what happened. Jesus had already passed her by, but she came up behind him because she realized that if I missed him when he came the first time, I can go catch him. He's on his way to Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter is representative of the church. She's 12 years old. Everybody said she's dead. Jesus said she's not dead. She's sleeping.
Everywhere you go, you hear folks say, the church is dead. Church is dead. Church is dead. No, it's not dead. It's asleep. Amen. And when Jesus walked in, he wrapped her in his talit and then said, talita kubni, which means you and the talit arise. And she stood up. We see in this a principle that will awaken the world. She wasn't dead. She was sleeping. Why do you think they call a revival an awakening? The church is not dead. It's asleep. We need to stand up and take our place in the world today to preserve our society from the ruin and degradation that is occurring. All nations will be turned into hell and every nation that forgets God. And here's what's going to happen. While he is coming to us and revival is beginning to occur with us and an awakening, Israel's going to come from behind and get a hold of him. They're going to have to come from behind because they missed him the first time. I'm done, but I want to tell you, this church has an incredible future. We're getting ready to watch God move. And I want to say it again. Because we are covered and because we are in the secret place of prosperity. The secret place. Amen. The secret place of resources. The secret place of being able to move beyond where our own prayer experience can carry us. Because you are joined together. You know what's going to happen? What used to be your ceiling is now going to be your floor. Where you used to think you had a struggle reaching, it's going to be so easy you'll never sink below that level again. Oh, can I feel like, can I, can I do what I feel like doing here today? where you thought your money peaked out, where you thought that was the best you could do, I've got a word for you. That's going to be the lowest you will ever come to again in your life. Breakthrough is coming. Breakthrough is coming. Breakthrough is coming. 